You are listening to Hellcat's Hope, episode number 17. But it's really hot because we don't believe in air conditioning in this county, I guess. So I'm sweating. So when the Bert sweats, Bert's become irritable. Welcome to Hellcat's Hope, the podcast to find humor, healing, and hope. Come along with Hellcat as she explores ways to help you overcome adversity and find your own inner Hellcat. Yes, Hellcat is her legal middle name, and hope is her game, bringing hope to others by showing what's possible. Here's your host, law school grad, motivational speaker, author, and certified life and smoking cessation coach, Lori Hellcat Bamford. Welcome back, friends. I know I've been gone for a few weeks. It's been a little hectic with life and school board and all of those wonderful things. But I'm back. And boy, are you in for a rare treat today. I am interviewing Coach Mike Burt. He is also my oldest brother and the oldest of the 11 siblings in the Burt family. Today, we are talking about football, coaching, and barbecue. Where else are you going to find humor, healing, and hope than there? So before we begin, I just wanted to give a shout out to my great niece, Chloe. I received word that Chloe loves the podcast. So Chloe is, I think, five years old. Ooh, Chloe, don't be mad at me if I'm wrong. But her dad, Chip, my nephew, had sent me a message and told me that Chloe was a big fan of the podcast and that she's always wanting to listen. So I just wanted to give Chloe a big shout out and thank you for listening. Her dad told me she calls it my radio show. <laughs> but he had the funniest story. He said over the weekend, he was driving and he had cussed out another person in another car, allegedly. And Chloe said, Dad, you have to be kind to people because that's what your Aunt Lori says. So, Chloe, thank you for listening. You, you are especially going to like a part that your papa talks about at about the 56-minute mark. He talks about how much you love frogs. So, give it a listen. Thank you guys for listening today. You are going to love the stories that my brother shares about his football career and his coaching career and, of course, his barbecue business. I just thought with football season kicking off, hopefully for many of us, despite COVID, that this is something that we can all come together about right now. You know, there, there seems to be so much divisiveness in our country, but it kind of seems like sometimes football can bring us together. Barbecue can bring us together and hope can bring us together. So thank you guys for listening and enjoy this interview with Coach Mike Burt. How are you? Good. How about yourself? Good. I have two and a half pages of notes. Things I want to talk about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> dang, you've been bored, huh? You got time well, to write down that many notes. <laughs> so you can edit in case I say bad words, because sometimes I have a tendency to say bad words. Yeah, bleeps are good. Okay. I can do that. All right. Well, I have here today my oldest brother, Coach Mike Burt. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I may talk in my coach's voice, even though I haven't used it in several years. I, I like it. I think the coach's voice would be appropriate. I like your headphones, too. Those are fancy. You know, I hadn't worn headphones. I'm, I'm kind of looking at these on the screen. I haven't worn them since I was thinking about this morning, early November of 17. We're going to talk a lot about football today because, you know, it is football season. I want to talk about first, what was it like growing up, the oldest of 11 mm -hmm. kids? And then we're going to talk about football. And then I want to talk about your food truck and what you have going on now. First up, let's talk about growing up the oldest of 11 kids. You are the oldest, the elder, the mm. older brother. Mm. What, what was it like? Wait, and first of all, let me say this. Thank you so much for sharing the memories and stories that you had about Grandma Bert and Mama and Papa Burkhead for episode six. That oh, was, it was really oh, interesting yeah. to have your unique perspective because obviously you knew them the longest. And so I just really appreciated what you were able to share. And so thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. Growing up the oldest of 11, it was very unique. Everything was kind of in phases, you know, for the longest time, or at least the first seven years of my life, it was me and Julie. Okay. Right. 
the next one in line behind me. And it was a pretty cool deal because Julie does whatever you tell her to do. Okay. <laughs> At least she did as a kid. So we could get in trouble and I could blame Julie and she wouldn't defend herself. She just kind of, she was so quiet. It's a very quiet child. And uh, so that was kind of good for me. It worked in my favor, I think, in a lot of its situations. And then this, this, this girl comes along in 70. Okay. No, was it 70? You were born in 70? It was 70. I was born in 70. Yeah. yeah. And we were living there in Farmer's Brand, enter into a new phase of the Burt kiddos. You were a pistol, a nonstop talking pistol. Okay. <laughs> I'd never seen any human even though I was only seven years of age, then I get to become eight, nine, 10, and you're in those toddler mode years. And I'm going, oh my gosh, she doesn't ever shut up. Mom, dad, make her shut up. Make her stop talking for the love of God. Make her stop. The monitor and adjust on that phase. So. And let me, let me tell you, I, I have been paid back tenfold. Uh, and I believe I've, I've texted you before about Sarah, my yep. almost 15 year old. Yep. The girl would go to sleep talking. And wake up immediately talking. Yep. That's that old deal. What goes around comes around. You bet it is. Well, well, it's come around. And then I get in, oh gosh, it was junior high. Then the Jennifers and the Beths and the Erica's come along. But, you know, by then I'm in junior high. So I'm really active, you know, with, you know, football. And all of a sudden academics kind of becomes important. And then I go to public school starting in sixth grade because first through fifth grade, you know, I went to the parochial schools. Me and Julie both went to the parochial schools. Christ the King. Uh, well, the first one was Mary Immaculate. That was first and second grade. And then we lived in Tyler. So we went to St. Gregory's. That was for third and fourth grade for me. And then we moved back to Dallas. We lived in those apartments in, in Addison, which back then the only thing on Beltline was what's now called the magic time machine, but it was an old boarded up schoolhouse. And so we, that's when we went to Christ the King right across the parking lot from Preston State Bank where Mama worked. You know, so it was, I wouldn't say restricted, but there was a lot stricter life in the parochial schools and right. the expectations were a little different. And I get to go to public schools and it was like, hey, game on, baby, let's go. <laughs> let's get after it. <laughs> So kind of got in trouble until the coaches got a hold of me and the old board of education on the backside straightened me up. Then all the rest of them started coming. I remember Bubba. I was really excited when Bubba came along. because Yes, I remember just, that. It was just me and a bunch of girls, which no offense, <laughs> but you know, I didn't have anybody. You can't talk to girls if you're a guy. I mean, back then it was the seventies. and Yeah, it was you and five girls. Oh, golly, Moses. It was interesting. It was you, my you, junior yeah. year, if I do believe. Bubba, then Matthew, and then John Bradford, who happens to have the same birthday as myself and my oldest son. And then I took off to Houston, Texas for about a four-year span. And then there's this big head Mark came along and then <laughs> Margaret Rebecca. So, <laughs> And wasn't that interesting it, that you started your family and then mom and dad still had Mark, uh, John, Mark, and Rebecca, I think. John, John's a year older than Chip. Okay. Exact, okay. Exactly a year older than Chip. And okay. yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of different. And, you know, people say, wow, they kind of look at me with a blank thousand yard stare and <laughs> just go, wow. And, and I, and I just start mouth breathing and look at them and shrug <laughs> my shoulders and, and, you know, they're, <laughs> what else was I supposed to do? I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you know, and, it, it's really funny to hear Chip and John and Mark and Rebecca <laughs> talk about it, especially the boys in high school, how people would say, well, wait, how are y'all related? And then the younger ones were actually the nephews. I mean, the uncles of the younger of the older. Oh, ones. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, see, I can't even get it right. And oh, yeah, yeah it was. It was oh, yeah. And they use that to their advantage. In a, in a lot of situations, I don't know how. I just know they did. But it's it, it's it's great for conversation, especially fam, family gatherings. It really is. It really and you know we don't probably don't have time today. I hope we do have time for some stories. But some of my favorite memories are at family reunions and family events. And I kid you not, we could all sit around and listen to your stories for hours. <laughs> They're just so funny. Such good uh, stories. Well, I'm. Um, you know, I'm I'm well past a half century old, and so I, I guess I have a lot of stories to be able to share. Some are interesting, and some who knows what they mean. 
Now, there is one story that I do take issue with, mm. and it's this allegation that, that oh, I oh, oh, somehow... Oh, oh. Start with the word allegation. How is there, there... No, there's no allegations. There's only facts. Well, I mean, there's your story and there's my story. Okay. About the turtles. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you the microphone. So, so what, what is your version of events? Well, okay. We had a dog named Regal. It was a white Samoyed. If you remember, I don't know if you remember the white Samoyed or not. I don't think so. And I just loved that dog and, and he, he became ill and they ended up having to put him down. And I mean, it was just, it was very emotional. And so I think to replace the dog that got to go to dog heaven, for some reason, I was given by our parents a turtle. I guess because it, I don't know what the, what I'll never figure that out. I just know I got a turtle. So I started to try to bond with the turtle. Now, turtles don't wag their tails. If they do, you can't see it. Uh, they don't, you know, they're, they, they can't jump up in your lap or, you know, sleep in the bed with you at night. Uh, they're just kind of there. They kind of just look at you like, who are you and why are you bothering me? But anyway, I just, I, I'm, I'm trying to connect with the turtle and this goes on for several weeks. And one day, I, I guess I was outside playing with the neighborhood kids and I come home and run upstairs. And that was kind of a neat apartment. It was a two bedroom, three bedroom apartment. I remember that apartment. It, was, it had the almost a spiral staircase. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool place. As a matter of fact, I drove by there oh, several years ago and they're still standing, believe it or not. But anyway, I go up there to check on whatever the turtle's name was Oscar, Fred, Mark, who knows. And it's gone. The, the, the turtle, the land of turtle where it was supposed to be was gone. I'm going, all right, the turtle got out. Y'all help me find it. And then Julie comes down the hall and she has this pale look to her face. And I'm going, why do you have a pale look to your face? Are you sick? She goes, Lori flushed the turtle down the toilet. And then she ran away. And I go, I mean, I'm in a state of shock. Going, what? 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 She flushed the turtle down the toilet. What? And so it goes on from there and I'm upset. And then mom comes up to keep me from choking you. And, and it just, it was just, it was a dark, dark day. Okay. <laughs> there in the mid seventies, early mid seventies, very dark day. I, I and, don't mean uh, to laugh, laugh at your pain. I'm not laughing at your pain, but I just remember it a little bit differently. Okay. Let's hear your version. So I remember the apartment I thought there was more than one. I remember like three tiny little miniature turtles. No, I just remember one. Well, I remember. Maybe you had some toy turtles you wanted to put in the toilet with the live turtle. That That is possible. So the only thing I remember is looking in the toilet and seeing the turtles swim in a circle. And I thought that was really cool. And so I thought, I wonder what would happen if I flushed it. Would they swim yeah. faster? Yeah. Well, they sure did. Yeah, all the way down. Yeah. Yeah, that was and that was all so I cool, remember about that. That was so cool, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, I was so mad at you. I'm not really mad at you now. Have I forgiven you completely? I'm not sure, really deep in my heart, because I try not to connect with my innermost feelings a lot of times. You are forevermore henceforth known as the turtle assassin. Allegedly, but okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. We may just have to agree to disagree on that one. All right. I want to talk about football. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit that you started playing in middle school. My first year of playing was in the year of our Lord, 1973 for Park Cities football because it was attached to Christ the King. There was a YMCA there in Park Cities and mom and mom all got me signed up and I got to meet Bob Lilly's son. He was my classmate. You may not know who Bob Lilly is or was. Hall of Famer for the Dallas Cowboys and he was still playing. He was my hero and Bobby Jr. We just called him Bobby was my classmate there in Sister Olga's class or whatever her name was. She was I still have visions of her. Well, actually, Sister Olga was at Mary Immaculate. I can't remember this one's name, but I can still see her face and, and the bifocals that she wore and the sounds she used to make when I got in trouble. It was, of course, they used to pull your hair back then to get you to act right. Everybody says, well, they hit you with a ruler? No, no, they grab a handful of hair and they'd shake you out of your chair until you're on your knees pleading for leniency. But anyway, I digress. So I played on a team for the YMCA. 
So that was the first year I played center. And then we moved to Louisville between 73 and early 74. That's when I played for HP McDonald Marauders. They were a maroon team. It was for the Louisville Football Association, oh which was God. still in the early years of, of, of being. And we played out there at Lake Park. And then, and that's when I was in sixth grade. We were at Hedrick Middle School, me and Julie. Well, Julie was at Hedrick Elementary. Then we moved to the other side of town over there by Lake Park and started going to J.K. DeLay Middle School. Became a fighting harvester. Played in seventh grade and eighth grade there. Had a blast. Loved it. Just absolutely loved it. And then, of course, went on to Louisville High School and then on to Rice and then became a coach for 33 years. Well, I'm not going to let you just gloss over that. So in high school, were you recruited by other schools as well in Rice? And oh, what yeah, were your my accomplishments first... there your senior year? Oh, well, the accomplishments started my sophomore, junior, and senior year. The reason I got to start as a sophomore was because a couple of guys, you know, Neil Wilson had just come in, new staff, and had Q Britton and Jim Smith and the great Tom Everest and, you know, several other guys with him. And there were a couple of guys that were going to play linebacker. And I think one wanted to go ride bulls and the other one wanted to chase bulls. I don't know what he wanted. Anyway, <laughs> they didn't end up working out at linebacker. So it was me and a guy named Jesse Garcia. Well, poor Jesse got in a car wreck and ended up being Rod Fernside. And about halfway through the season, me and Fernie, were starting linebackers for basically those three years. And I was very lucky. I guess coaches felt sorry for me and they nominated me as sophomore of the year. Then I made all district my junior and senior years. And we had a great run in 79, made it to the state semifinals, lost to Temple there at Texas Stadium, uh, three to nothing, one of those high scoring yeah. ball games like you see nowadays. And uh, that was devastating. It was a great, great time growing up in Louisville, Texas back in those days. So ended up being recruited. My first recruiting trip was to the University of Texas. Okay. And that's where I was. I was always a big Longhorn fan. As a matter of fact, I had a coach, oh, uh, Bobby Gentry. I, I don't know if he's still coaching or not. If he is, he's about 100 years old. But Coach Gentry used to call me Bevo. That was his oh, nickname wow. for me. Man, got to go there. Just I was, I was just enthralled. Loved it. I'm ready to sign. And they take you out on Friday and Saturday, and they show you this, and they show you that, and then Sunday morning, I got to go in and meet with Fred Akers, and I'm thinking, man, he's going to offer me a scholarship. I'm going to sign, seal, and deliver right here now. I am committing. And Coach Akers goes, Bert, man, really like you, really like your intensity, but you're not necessarily at the top of our list right now, but if things work out, we'll be giving you a call. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had another trip the next week scheduled to Arkansas there in Fayetteville mm. and took the trip up there. Lou Holtz was the coach at the oh, time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. We go in Friday night and Lou Holtz does a bunch of magic tricks in front of all the recruits. <laughs> he's a big, he's like a freaking magician. I did, I yeah. did not know these oh, stories. Yeah. Oh yeah. This Great. guy, can, he can do all kinds of magic tricks. So did that Had a great time. Matter of fact, Cliff Harris, who played for the Cowboys, his brother showed me around, you know, he was the guy that showed me around that weekend. And so Sunday morning, man, I get up. Okay. I'm going to become a Razorback. The heck with Texas. I'm going to go meet with Lou Holtz. And so I go in there and then Coach Holtz starts talking. You know, he's got that little funny lisp to him and he's kind of comical uh, on purpose. And uh, he said, Bert, man, love your intensity. Love how you hit people. Man, you're a slobber knocker. But right now you're just not at the top of our list. And we'll give you a call when you are. So I'm going, okay, next week, Rice University. Go down to Rice University, have a great time, and really loved it. But none of the students were really around, and so I didn't really get to feel the the, the Rice University experience with the student population, which is probably a good thing, which is another story for later on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, go in and see Coach Auburn on that Sunday, and he says, Bert, we love you. We love you. We, we want you to sign with us. I said, Done. I'm in, baby. I'm in. Wow. Let's go get it. Ended up canceling a trip to Tulsa. Those coaches got mad. And, you know, back in those days when you committed, you committed. There wasn't any backing out. There wasn't any uncommitting. And I wanted to play in the Southwest Conference and I wanted to stay in Texas. And that, that was that was real important back in those days. And I knew I'd be getting a heck of an education. So here we go. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I've, I've not heard those stories. And so, uh, Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. I know when Aaron, Aaron was being recruited, you know, a lot of division two schools and, you know, we went to Pittsburgh state first and, you know, I was able to be there, just loved it. Loved the whole atmosphere. I thought that was the one, but then their head coach got fired 
<laughs> and then it was just kind of not really hearing anything. And then we went up to Fort Hayes State University and loved it as well. And it, it was kind of that same thing that Sunday morning they made the offer. And he had a couple of other offers, but he really liked Fort Hayes. And I think it was a couple of days after that, Pitt State called him and said, we want to offer you. And he said, no, nope, sorry. Yeah. Good, good yeah. for him. Good yeah. for him. That's the, that's the way it's supposed to be done. So you attended uh, Rice University? I graduated with a B minus average, and I was tickled to death to have it. <laughs> no okay. kidding, from Rice University. They call it, oh. they call it the... It's the Harvard of the South. Yeah. Yes. It was it was tough. It was it was really tough. And it wasn't like I wasn't prepared at Louisville because as a matter of fact, I went back after that first year at Rice and I went and talked to Sherry Ogburn, my English teacher, mm-hmm. and bragged to her. I said, yeah. you know, it's because of you and Thelma Wilson and all the English staff that I actually placed out of English at Rice University because you had to take an English competency exam that week when you went in for orientation. There were two big things, the English competency exam and then the honor code. See, Rice University, they have an honor system, the honor code. So when you take a test, there's no proctors, there's no teaching assistants, there's no professors. Uh, They dish out the test and then they walk out and go drink coffee or uh, smoke sick. I don't know what they were doing. You just take the test and and that was the honor code was like deathly serious stuff. Okay. Yeah. You didn't yeah. want to go before the HC, the honor council. And uh, remember one time I did. Uh, me and Samson went before the honor council. What? Oh, and you what? Were Eric? Me and Eric, yeah, he was my college roommate, lifelong friend, love him to death. Matter of fact, we go back now that we're old and pathetic, we go back to homecoming games to watch him play. But anyway, we go before the honor council. You know, we get this note in our box there at Sid Ridge College that, you know, our attendance is required. And we go there. Well, we had took a computer science. They had come up with this brand new thing called computer science. Okay. And a guy from Sweden taught the course. And it was hard to understand. And you had a hundred people in there and then you had to go to a lab. Okay. It was in the bowels of some science building. So you don't know where you're going. You don't know if you're going to come out alive. You don't even know how to, we didn't even know how to turn on the freaking computers. And there was a tutor in there that would help us. And so she showed us what to do. And we just, we were miserable. We didn't want to be in there. Floppy disks. Did you have the big floppy disks? Do you remember? Uh, I think they were floppy disk. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Put it this way: the Macintosh hadn't come out yet. Oh I don't know God. what. I just know it was a big, white, funny-looking TV screen, and there was something. And to this day, I, I have a lot of inhibitions, uh, fear, anger—you name it—emotions about computers and technology. But anyway, we go in there. This girl showed us what to do, and we both did exactly what she told us to do, and submitted our work to Doctor Sven, whoever he was. And well, we what we did was exactly alike. So they assumed that we cheated. And so we had to go in there and explain, no, here's what we did. And sure enough, there were other students in the same predicament. And so they did exactly what the tutor told them to do. And so we were cleared. We were not indicted. We were not. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would have been back in Louisville, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they, should, they take quick. that very seriously. So oh, yeah. you were very fortunate to graduate with a degree from Rice University. Yep. And what was your degree in? I had a double major. I started off in what they called managerial studies. And, you know, that was what they called business, managerial studies. I thought, man, that sounds fancy. And I took ACO and industrial psychology and economics, micro and macro, and hated it. I despised Uh. it. It was just horrible. And I said, what am I doing? I don't care. I don't want to do this. I, I knew since seventh grade, okay, that I wanted to coach. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to teach history. So I stopped, changed my major to history. And they said, well, do you want to have a double major? I said, sure, why not? And so they had a Fed, which was physical education. And I got, and it was kind of cool because I got to follow three different tracks. Okay. It was teaching, coaching, and sport management. Sport management had just started in the educational uh-huh. realm. And Dr. Eva Lee was the one that kind of got that thing going. I, I didn't really care about teaching PE, but that was never a consideration. Never did teach it, except for when I taught summer school at Rice, I had a couple PE courses, but I was more interested in teaching history. You know, dad gave us the love of history. And uh, so 
that's what I got. That's what's on yeah. my sheepskin just says bachelor of arts, yeah. but that was my major. Yeah. And so what was your first coaching job? First job out of college in late July, August of 1985, I went back to Louisville ISD and that was, that was a dream. Matter of fact, I'd used to sit in college, you know, especially if it was a boring course and, you know, the professor used the word, uh, or, you know, or something like that more than it got into the double digits. Then I started drawing football plays. Okay. <laughs> double digits was the cutoff. Anyway, went back there and, and Neil Wilson hired me at Hedrick middle school. Ron Underwood was the principal. Of course, that was where I started when we moved to Louisville was at Hedrick middle school. So right. it, was kind of, it was kind of a full cycle. And because uh, Larry Sigler was a principal then, but he had already gone to Marcus and took Sissy Frady as secretary with him. So I had to learn all the new people. But yeah. the guy that was the boys athletic coordinator was a cat named Steve Telanius. He had ended up being, he just passed away of last spring. Uh, he, matter of fact, he coached Margaret in cross country. Oh, so, yeah, Coach Steve. Yeah, yeah, Coach Steve. Yeah, okay. Telanius was my boss and he, he told stories for 30 years about how awful it was to have me as his assistant <laughs> and not because I was a bad assistant, just because I, unfortunately I was intense. Okay. I was very intense and maybe temperamental. I don't know, but <laughs> he had a hard time controlling me, but it was fun. We had great stories, great time. And then by, you know, after about a semester and a half, LISD decided to make Marcus instead of a ninth and 10th grade feeder school into Louisville high school is to make it its own and go ahead and build a high school out in the colony. So Q Britton got that job there at Marcus and went out there with him. And then, Oh golly, Moses, 15, 16 years later, half of my career right there. So you spent most of your time coaching there at Marcus, and then you coached at a couple of other schools. A couple um, other schools, actually. Yeah. You, you retired after the 2000 season. You know, as an assistant coach, I didn't want to just work for anybody. Uh, I guess I was weird and still am. But, you know, when Q retired, I thought, you know what, uh, I'm going to be very selective. So I went to Bridgeport, America with a guy named Danny Henson. As a matter of fact, we're going to a football game tonight up in Boyd, America to watch a former colleague coach. Went up there with him for a year and then Q decided to come out of retirement. He said, come on. He had a choice. He could go to Kaufman, Texas, or he could go to Dallas Skyline. Yeah. And he decided to go to Dallas Skyline because tremendous athletes got an opportunity to win another state championship. And so that lasted three years. He retired again. <laughs> uh, so I go back to Bridgeport again for a couple of years. And that's where I met Frances. She was uh, that's my wife. Yes. And I know you know that, but that's for yes. people <laughs> listening. We got married in 06. And then this little place called Dumas, Texas, up north of Amarillo. Never heard of it. Never dadgum heard of it. And applied for the job, went up there and interviewed, got the job. And man, it was great. Finally got to be a head coach after 22 years as an assistant. And so it was awesome. After six years, you know, the grandkids were starting to grow up. Dad's health was starting to decline. Yeah. Mama's health was starting to decline. You know, it was a long drive nonstop from Dumas to Tyler, Texas. Check on Mama. So I started applying for gigs down here in the Metroplex and ended up in this little spot between Burleson and Cleburne known as Joshua. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, uh uh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, it took, <laughs> let me tell you, it took five years to make them competitive. I, I, I know. I there remember. Were so, that was rough. There were a lot of obstacles to overcome. God help them. But yeah. anyway, after 33 years, you know, then what, 10 years of playing and, you know, I'm thinking, you yeah. know, I think I'm, I think I'm tired. Yeah. You, know, you can only yeah. put so much energy into it. My style, you know, was probably starting to get maybe too intense for modern day kids, you know, yeah. at least in this part of the country. Well, I can tell you, your nephew has that intensity. Aaron I, has I've the, seen that just watching him on film. You can tell he's an intense guy. He's very intense. So your football career, your coaching career, and then also you had to teach as well. Like you were teaching yeah. history and, and all that because you taught while you were coaching as well, right? Yeah, honors world yeah. history. And then, yeah. you know, for some reason in education, at least in Texas, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but every five years they have to change the names of course titles, I guess, mm -hmm. to give certain people in administration building something to do. But they took honors world history and turned it into pre-advanced placement world history. And I loved it. It was great. Mm -hmm. I always enjoy the European history. But really the most fun I ever had was that first year teaching Texas history. That was a lot right. of fun. So, but yep, 
22 years in the classroom. Well, I can tell you all of my friends that ever had you as a teacher, they still speak about you today and how you made it fun and engaging. And then even as a coach, I, I still hear stories to this day. So, so what are your thoughts on playing football right now? Like if you were still coaching during COVID, what do you think about all this? You know, I've thought about that. And the first thing I do is I thank God that I'm retired. <laughs> I, I, I greatly appreciate being retired and not having to contend with that. I, I'm afraid that would drive me insane. And, and for so many different reasons, you know, am I putting a kid out there that's going to maybe unsuspectingly go home and get his mama or his papa sick? You know, in the 33 years that I was uh, teaching and coaching, my first year, I, we lost a kid that I was real close to. He was special needs. He died there at the school. That was very traumatic. In 96, I lost a kid at Marcus. It was a year after he graduated, uh, Chad Tinsley. That was pretty awful. And then here in, here in Joshua, we, we lost a young man at a JV football game. And, and having to go to – I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go – I would not want to go through any of that again with, with a child because uh, that's what they are. Yeah, they're, they're teenagers, but they're still babies. I, I just couldn't do it. That, that would just that might that might make me lock up and stroke out. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wouldn't. I I just couldn't do it. I'm just not that tough anymore. I guess. What about teaching during this time? I know you you see it firsthand. Maybe through Chip, your son. He's trying to in in Annette trying to teach during these times, and of course, yeah. Francis at the college level. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine? Well, that the thing is. I think it's okay for them because they're used to doing this Zoom thingy, okay, or, or whatever you call it. Uh, I, I, as I alluded to earlier, I'm not real fond of computers. I like typewriters. I like the IBM Selectric 2, okay? <laughs> uh, I like putting things in manila folders. Could I learn how to do it? I'm sure I could. Uh, would I enjoy doing it? No. I want to be able to see what's going on. I want to have my hands on them. If they're not doing their work, if they're not acting right, you know, you want to get them and grab them and pull their hair like the nuns used to do me, okay, and shake them. Yeah, I don't think they let you do that anymore. But As You really can't. And that was that was a bad thing when I came to Joshua because up in Dumas, we could swing the board, baby. I had a board. Really? I even named him Mr. Happy. All the kids knew who he was. Went to the principal up there in Dumas, old Bob Callahan. Great guy. Great principal. And I went, Coach Callahan, y'all got corporal punishment here in Dumas. Yes, sir, we do. Do you mind if I swing the board out there at the field house? He goes, Coach, why aren't you swinging the board out there at the field house? So I found one, called it Mr. Happy, painted it on there, and used that bad boy. I get down here to Joshua, and I asked the superintendent, I said, hey, because things were kind of not where they needed to be. And I'm thinking, I asked her after the first year, said, you got a problem with me swinging the board? <laughs> She goes, you mean, because I said, y'all got corporal punishment in your dadgum policy handbook. Y'all real big about policies around here. Okay. <laughs> Why aren't we swinging the board? She goes, Coach Burt, you feel free to swing that board as much as you want to. I'm going, yeah, but if something happens, we don't have your back. We ain't going to protect you. We ain't going to do this, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, never mind. I'm not getting in the middle of that. So I want to talk about winning and losing. Mm -hmm. When you think back as a player, does a certain favorite win come to your mind? Oh, yeah. I guess uh, in high school, the biggest win would be um, we beat the number one team in the nation my junior year at Texas Stadium in the first round of the playoffs. They were Abilene Cooper. Yes. Okay? And they were. Oh, their band. Their oh, band spanned yeah. end zone to end zone. Yeah. Yeah. And they were the, they were the big dog out in West Texas at the time. They mm -hmm. kind of unseated Odessa Permian for a year or two. You know, they had Terry Orr. He was a big, he's like a six foot four, 220 pound running back. Yeah. But now Terry Orr, he ended up playing at Texas. We ended up playing against each other in college. Oh. They had a kid named Slaughter at quarterback. He ended up playing golf at U of H and just, they just had all these studs. And we beat them 12 to nine. Another one of those high scoring 1979 offensive juggernaut affairs right. and uh, but that was a huge huge win for our program there at Louisville High School so that one stood out and as a coach God, I don't know you do it for 33 years as opposed to four years of high school ball or college ball now college ball we did have a bit we didn't have a whole lot of wins when I was at Rice Rice was kind of on the downhill slide at the time 
but beating Baylor always stood out. Beating TCU stood out. Beating Texas Tech, that was exciting. Yes. Those were big wins. Those were big wins for us. Couldn't ever beat A&M or Texas at the time, even though they'd beaten A&M the year before I got there. But it was, it was still fun. And you played against uh, Eric Dickerson. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Dickerson, I had to play against him two years. He was two years older than me. And that Pony Express was going big time back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're playing them. It'd be his senior year, my sophomore year. We're playing them down there at Rice Stadium in Houston. And I went to go make a tackle on him. They ran the counter G. I read it read it well and got out there and go in to make the attack and stroke some violence on him. And his knee came up underneath my face mask. And it was like <laughs> Muhammad Ali had given me an uppercut. Okay. <laughs> Knocked my helmet off. And, and, you know, it was a concussion. There was all kind of concussions back in those days, but they just drug you off the field and they sat you on the bench and they took these ammonia caplets and they busted them open. And they put them under your nose and they put a couple fingers up there and say, how many fingers? And you say, whatever. And they say, sure. So if they had two fingers and you said eight, they, hey, at least he yeah. saw fingers. He saw fingers. <laughs> Okay. And put you right back out there? Get your butt back in there. Make sure you line up in the right huddle. So that's just the way it was. But anyway, yeah, played against Dickerson and played played against a bunch of dang. Southwest Conference was loaded with talent back in those days. All right. So losses. Are there any particular losses that stand out as a player or mm-hmm. as a coach? As a player, yeah, the Temple loss my junior year, you know, that was devastating because whoever won that game would eventually win the state championship. Mm -hmm. And they did the next week against Houston Memorial. You know, that was pretty devastating, but you you move on. You know, kids are so resilient. Now, as a coach, the 1995 losing the state championship game to San Antonio Mm -hmm. Roosevelt at Alamo Stadium in San Antonio, Texas on December, I think, 20th, 1995, that was devastating. Because you don't know when, if you'll ever get to go back to another state championship as a coach. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is just brutal. This is horrible. I'm I'm going away. I'm moving to an island somewhere. And, but before I even got to move to the island, I had to, you know, you go out in public. You're embarrassed. You're, mm-hmm. You feel sad. Uh, you have to wear a big floppy hat and sunglasses and a trench coat so nobody knows who you are. The thing is, as, as a coach, when you lose, you take it so personal. And if you're not taking it personal, then maybe you probably don't need to be coaching. It, it needs to be that much of an investment to you. It needs to be that important to you. And now you can only do it for so many decades if you're that intense and that loyal. Yeah, that was a pretty tough one. You know, I, I, I attribute success for myself and as I see in others to having really strong mentors. Mm-hmm. Who would you consider your biggest mentor during your career and your life? Oh, my career and my life would well, have to be Q, Coach Britton. Uh, we were so close. You know, I worked for him for 18 years at two different locations. And then he came and worked for me for seven years. So 25 of my 33 years was, mm-hmm. you know, I was connected with, with Coach Britton. And, you know, we, we became very close. He lost his best friend our first year at Skyline. Tommy Briggs died of a heart attack at the age of 52. They were just real close. They went and ate fried chicken together, went to football games together. So Q and I became very close after that. So, you know, losing him was pretty tough and it was and it wasn't sudden. You know, he, he suffered immensely and, and it was a blessing that he no longer had to suffer and uh, he could find eternal peace. But from a coaching standpoint, the guy that really taught me the most from a defensive standpoint, especially uh, he was a he was a technical guru, but he also learned from technical gurus, was Tom Everest. And he just finally retired from coaching out in California. He's probably in his early, mid-70s now. And I just talked to him on the phone the other day. I was driving back from Abilene, Kansas to see my middle son, Zach. He hadn't changed much. <laughs> so, yeah. Some of his philosophies in life. But those, those two were very, very important key figures in my life. What would be your advice for students out there, for the Aaron Corbins of the world, or other people that are just out of school, if, if they're listening today, what is some advice that you have for them as they consider, you know, wanting to be a coach? Well, there's several things. Number one, when you, first of all, get certified in something that you can teach. Don't just try to hang your hat on a PE certification. Those days 
have been gone for three decades. You know, get something in a core course when it comes to becoming a, a, a certified educator. Now, I, I really don't know what the stipulations and the things are up in, in the state of Oklahoma. I'm just, I have to base everything on my experience in Texas. Major in whatever you want to major in, that doesn't matter. Your major is irrelevant. What is important is, is your certification. So that's going to make you marketable. Now, the next thing, if you do want to go public education, that's great. But it was say, hey, I'm not really sure. I think I want to go the college route of coaching. And sometimes I reflect and kind of wish I would have, but you know, that's water on the bridge. Can't change it now, but you know, you got to decide, Hey, I'm going to go be a graduate assistant somewhere and latch on to somebody that's moving up the ranks and, and go do that. Well, okay. Better think about this when it comes to being a college coach, zero job security, zero job security. Be ready to be, if you enjoy moving, be a college coach because you're going to be moving a lot. You know, those things are important right there, but regardless of what level you want to go at, whether you're junior high, high school, college coach, one thing you better not do is that you better not try to figure out how much money you're making an hour. Okay. That was one of the first things I was told. Seriously. That's one of the first things they said, okay, Bert, whatever you do, don't try to figure out how much money you're making an hour because it'll depress you. But you know, my first job, my first job in 85, I was making 20000 a year to teach and coach. I thought, God dang, I'm rich. But then I started talking to a lot of kids. Kids, are, okay, they're, they're old people now. The people I went to Rice with, they were making twice as much. You know, they're making yeah. forty grand a year. And I'm going, yeah, but you're not happy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not happy. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. What is your real purpose? That's it. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a passion? But that again, that's something else. You need to coach what you're passionate about. I've, obviously, my passion's football. I've, I've been a football purist for for years and years and years. It wasn't until later in my career that I actually started appreciating and recognizing the other sports. Uh, number one, because I had to, because I was either an assistant AD or an AD, so I had to recognize and appreciate them. But I also started to find the value in it for kids that couldn't necessarily be violent in the game of football. And so I've been to a jillion soccer games in and out of blizzards. I've been to a jillion track meets, baseball, softball, wrestling matches, you name it. The only thing, my concern about wrestling at the high school level is that they don't they don't have a stage. They don't have turnbuckles. There's no folding chairs. Okay. <laughs> They just got a mat. All right. Okay, wait a minute. Where's the fun? There's not a microphone coming down from the middle of the lane. What's going on here? I've been asking that question since the early 2000s. I still can't get an answer. You've been a player. You've been a coach. You're a parent. You've been a teacher. And you've been on the administration side. <laughs> and That's I know. The and, That's the dark side. Yes. And so, you know, about a year ago, I said, you know, Brother, I'm thinking about running for school board. <laughs> and he said, have uh, you lost your mind? You lost your ever-loving mind. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I've been thinking about it for a year. And I just, I really think, you know, that I could help and, you know, just really get some uh, parental involvement and get, you know, somebody, the teachers need a voice. And, you know, I, and I, you know, I've got the sports experience and I've been with the, the football boosters and I, I'm going to do it. Well, I ran unopposed. Nobody else wanted to do it. Figure that. Go figure that. I'm now on the school board. What is your advice to the school board members, to administration, as a as a coach, a teacher, a parent? Like, what is some advice you can give? You know, the biggest biggest thing I've seen because I've been around. Oh, of course, the Louisville School Board, which in the in my tenure there changed hands several times. Then, of course, the best school board I ever saw was the one in Dumas. They were by far top-notch, first-class. They wanted first-class. They they did all those all the things that a school board's supposed to do. And here's what a school board's supposed to do, besides create policies and approve of policies and whatever that, the, the non-element of coaching is involved. But they need, and the same thing with administrators. That was my philosophy as an athletic administrator for 11 years. And this if, if you could just, and a lot of superintendents do this, but a lot of them don't. You hire good to great people. 
If you can hire a great one, man, you're lucky. But you know you got to at least hire good. But hire good people and get out of the way. Hire good people and let them do their job. Do not meddle. That's like, okay, and I always tried to assimilate it to, okay, I, I know a little bit about football. Played it, coached it, been there, done that, been around some great mentors uh, to learn from. I'm not going to go to your business and tell you how to run something. I'm not going to tell you, you really need to be doing this. You really need to be doing that. Some of the worst board members would be former failed coaches. Mm. Okay. If they get their hands on a school board position, then, you know, they were failures for whatever reason. The kids didn't like them. How in the heck did they get on a school board? I don't know, but I've seen that. And, and that's, that's prob- very problematic. Uh, but now the best ones are the ones that you don't ever hear from. If you don't ever see them, you don't ever hear from them, then you're doing well. Now, I'm not saying they, they stay away. They're there. You just don't know it. But you know, when you deserve a pat on the back, they'll give you a pat on the back. When you deserve a hug, they'll give you a hug. When you, yeah. you, you deserve empathy, they'll give you empathy. That's what any kind of a boss any kind of a leader should do. See, the problem is, and again, I'm speaking for the state of Texas. I've seen, you have so many people in in positions of leadership, really all they are are directors of compliance, Mm. not leaders. Now, on the other hand, you see so many, and I've been very blessed to experience so many leaders in the administrative and school board level that were in fact leaders. They, They guided, okay, when needed. That's all you do. You guide when needed. Now let's talk about parents for a little bit. I'm sure in your coaching and teaching, you've had to deal with a lot of parents. Yeah. And what is some advice you have for parents who have kids in sports and let's say little Johnny's not getting the starting position or not getting the playing time that, you know, he or she should have. And what, what is your advice to parents on how to handle that? Oh, well, my first advice as a parent, who coached his own kid, don't ever coach your own kid. That's number one. That I did that so wrong with my oldest son. I should have let somebody else coach him. That's just, whew. but you know, when it comes to, and I've, I saw it change. I saw it change from 1985 to, to 2017. You know, back in the, when I was early years, of, well, even when I played, but, but as I became a coach, there were very few parents that complained. You could count on one hand in a year how many parents were complaining about their son being able to, whether he's a starter or not. That that wasn't a big issue. I didn't really start seeing almost crazy parental involvement until my later years. Mm-hmm. It, it just became completely different. I don't know if you call it entitlement. I don't. I don't really know how to because every situation was different. But you know, being a parent, you got to. And it was tough for me because I did, you know, I did it wrong with Chip. And then when Zach came along, we're at Skyline. I, I said, here, go play offense. Go over there and let those guys coach you. I love you. And I'm going to be there for you. And I'm always on the same practice field, but I ain't coaching you. <laughs> Just because I know how stupid I am. And that's not fair to you. Again, again, back to the parents, they need to, they got to be able to trust the coaches, that they're making the right decisions. Now, are coaches omnipotent? Are coaches able to cure all ills and diseases and famines and wars? Of course not. Uh, coaches are going to screw up. Coaches are going to make mistakes. There have been times I'm going, God dang, I should have been playing. God dang, kick myself in the butt. How come I didn't have that kid in there? But a coach will figure that out sooner or later. And the ones that don't, don't usually last in coaching very long anyway, okay, by getting the best players on the field. If I was going to give any advice to a parent, I know I've taken the long way around the barn here. Oh, you're good. Okay. But whatever you do, support whatever coach your kid's playing for. When that kid comes home, don't badmouth the coach. Cannot badmouth the coach in front of your kid. Now, go outside, go into the daggum hallway bathroom, shut the door, put a towel at the bottom of the door, you know, muffle it where nobody can hear you, and talk all the smack you want to about that coach. But mm-hmm. don't put in front of the kid because now you're putting the kid in the middle. It's like almost being in the middle of a, a bad relationship between parents. Don't make the kid have to make choices. When it, let's let them play and have fun. Okay. Let them learn. Okay. Let them get after it. 
And then teach them how to handle adversity. Oh, yeah. You know, so, and not just with coaches, because I, I don't I can't think of any time that we ever had an issue with a coach. But with teachers, I would hear Aaron come home because I know Aaron Corbin. And so I would go to parent teacher conferences and I would walk in and I'd say, tell me what he did. Like, mm-hmm. let's solve this together. Like, I never would say, oh, Aaron would never do that. Oh, and it was yeah. it was always refreshing to them. They were almost shocked. Mm-hmm. That I took that approach because I was like, listen, I, I know what his challenges are and I'm here to help. And so you just give it to me. What do you do? <laughs> and I, I think it's a great, you know, don't talk about, you know, and Aaron would have all sorts of stories. And this teacher hates me and this teacher doesn't like me. And it's they need to learn adversity and they need to learn how to work through it. Because when they become adults, they are going to work for people. They are going to work with people that they don't like. Mm-hmm. And they're going to uh-huh. have to learn to manage that. Exactly. Oh, man, that's true. You're not doing them any favors otherwise. What about community support? How important is that in coaching? Oh, that's huge. That is so, so huge. And, you know, I I guess I was lucky. I I got to coach in the burbs. I got to coach in the urban area. I got to coach in the country. Uh, I got to coach way out in the dadgum Texas panhandle, which, you know, the community support out there was amazing community support at Marcus was amazing. Unfortunately, in, in Dallas ISD, there's so little community support. Now, you have so many schools, you have so many families that are probably having to work four and five dadgum jobs. So you didn't have the, the type of support that you see in the suburbs and in the country towns. There are places you have people in the stands, but it's not necessarily community support. There are communities out there that are just oozing with negativity, you know, and just whether they're bad mouthing the coaches at home, that's immaterial. It's just, they're not supportive. Uh, they have that. We're not going to win no matter what attitude that's very difficult to overcome. But at the same time, you, you know, like at Marcus, the expectations became so high after, you know, just 10 years there. And you say, well, that's y'all's fault. Y'all shouldn't have won. Well, that was, that's why we were there you know, to, to build these young men into studs and, and get them to produce. And of course, you know, now I can sit back and watch them all on Facebook or whatever else social media things are out there and watch them have success. It really, for me, it's exceptionally cool. I I was going to ask you that. Are you able to follow the players that you've coached and mentored and, and just oh, yeah. to see them succeed? And what is that just, like? And they'll just pop up. I get a friend request from a kid I hadn't, heard from in, in over 25 years and matter I got one the other day I'm not gonna say his name but I knew right away man that's blanket head you know that was <laughs> that was <laughs> blanket heads trying to get in touch with me that was his name wait a minute you've called me blanket head before well yeah and I took that I took that from an old John Wayne movie he called it yeah. uh in the searchers but no it's uh it's 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 really 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 amazing it's, it's amazing to see that. And some kids I try to get in touch with and I can't seem to connect with them. And that that's kind of frustrating because. Well, anyway. I can tell you the kids today, uh, it depends on their age group. Facebook is the older kids, but if they're a little bit younger, you're going to have to go to Twitter or Snapchat. I did Twitter when I first retired and it was okay, but you know, I really couldn't keep up. And the only reason I got on Facebook is when I lost my youngest son it it gave me an opportunity to keep up better with our family, keep up with birthdays. There's so many dadgum birds out there. I can't keep up with birthdays, you know, our, our aunts. And of course I always remember Jim's birthday just because we were so close growing up. But, yeah. but anyway, I'm, I, I hadn't been on Twitter in a long time. And, uh, and what'd you say the other one was? Snapchat. No, I'm not doing any Snapchats. I'm not, no, I'm not going to do the, Talk talk or TikTok or whatever they call it. No, we're not we're not going there. So you're retired. How are you spending your days now? Ah, you know, before the pandemic hit, it was pretty you know hot and heavy in terms of uh, the business. And now, and really, this 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 food truck you call it, it's a food trailer. Um, okay. And I, this isn't the first one I've had. I started a business over 20 years ago when I was at Marcus High School to supplement my income. You know, assistant coaches have to supplement their income, especially when you have kids and you're in public education. You're not bringing home big bucks. 
So I did that and then I became a head coach. And for 11, 12 years, I didn't really have time for all that. I would cook once or twice a year, you know, to feed the kids and the coaches and families and whatever. But, you know, it was pretty limited. Then I, I knew that being a, just being an AD was horrible. I hated it. I was miserable. I immediately started looking for food trailers. Okay. I looked at food trucks, but they're too expensive. And I'm trying to, you know, I've always believed in starting small and big building it from there. There's nothing I would love more than to have a barbecue shack where all I'd matter of fact, that was me and coach Britton's plan. When I finally retired, he was going to retire forever and we were going to open up a a barbecue shack and his only job, or he had two jobs. Number one, he was going to be the greeter at the door. He would greet you at the door, nod at you and say hi. And then he was going to be the taste tester. Okay. (laughs) All right. He was going to be the taste tester, but the only thing is whenever he'd taste my food, if he didn't say it was good, I got offended. Okay. Mm. Like one time he told me my chicken was just okay. And to this day, he's been gone, what, five years. I'm still mad at him for saying my chicken was just okay. You know, it was smoked. He said just okay? Or just okay. okay. No, he just said, it's, it's just okay. God dang. I was, I'm still mad about that. And that happened. I don't know. 15 years ago. So, and he's been gone five, but anyway, I started looking, I saw, I said, you know, I'm not going to do this. This is BS. I want to go have fun. You know, I started paying in social security when I was 11 years old, working for mm-hmm. dad at granny's. It was, I made a dollar 71 an hour. That was the minimum wage back then. And I said, I'm going to go have fun. Well, I can't get all my social security. Now the teacher retirement system of Texas is seen to that, but no, it's, 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 I stay busy with it. I usually work for sure twice a week. During the pandemic, all I've been able to really do is I've done a couple of jobs where it was it was like catering from the trailer. Yeah. And, and we just yeah. ran a tab. I went to Flower Mound about six weeks ago and did that. And that was kind of fun. It was hot. Oh my God, it was hot. <sighs> Even though it has an air conditioner, it still gets so hot in there. But I've been going to a chemical plant down in Cleburne. It's like any job, any any food job, food trailer job. You're going to have good days and you're going to have slow days. But what I love about what I'm doing is it's just like coaching because I have to prepare a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I have to, and unfortunately on this part, this is why I'm gaining weight. I have to practice, meaning you have to do R&D, research and development with different recipes and food products and things of that nature. And then you have to go out and execute. That's your game. Kick off. When you pull up, that's kickoff. Well, actually, when you pull up, it's pre-practice because you have to get set up. And (laughs) after that, it's kickoff. But that's why I really like it because I'm still getting to do, I'm still getting to coach. Uh, I get to use my coach's voice. Uh, because I have a generator in the back of my truck. And if I talk normal, they can't hear me. So I have to talk loud like a coach, you know, get them to hear me. Well, mother, the first year, year and a half, mother was on the staff. And then, you know, a lot of work that I've been doing is too hot for. Right. Okay. But, and plus during the pandemic, I didn't want her out there. So I hadn't really used her a whole lot lately. God bless her. You know, the objective is is to have good customer service, put out a, Mm -hmm. a pretty good product, and to not be slow. So I'm back there doing all this, that, and everything else, cutting up, pouring this, da-da-da. I'm trying to get the food out the window when mother wants to visit with them. Mother all of a sudden is wanting to discuss their life stories and you know what kind of grades they're making in school or, or whatever the situation may be. And I finally have to say, mother, okay, let's go. We got to get the food out the window. Next customer. What do I got next? Here we go. She finally logged on to that pretty good. I, I, there was one woman, this was at in Fort Worth. I had a job at a softball tournament in Fort Worth. There was a lady and she was about the same age as mother. I'd be willing to bet. And she came up and did an order and her and mom are talking. I go, get mother out of the way. And I go, ma'am, would you be interested in adopting my mother and taking her with you? She goes, of course I would. Well, about an hour later, she comes back. She goes, I'm ready to take your mom with me now. I go, well, unfortunately, she's in charge of the cash box, so <laughs> she can't go with you. But I sure appreciate you coming back. <laughs> That's really sweet. You're getting to spend lots of time with your grandkids now, huh? Oh, yeah. I get to. Yeah. Of course, I was supposed to go to a horse show Sunday, but they're not letting normal humans come out there. They're just letting yeah. the, the competitors do it, which that's, I've lost a lot of money not working horse shows because yeah. those people, those people aren't afraid to spend money on food. No, tours. they're not. They're not. And, uh, so that's, I'm kind of waiting for that thing to open back up, but no, I get to do that. Spend time with Ethan. Chloe. Oh man. 
She actually a couple of, oh my God, she's a pistol. <laughs> Uh, a couple a couple months ago, she actually won. They came out here uh, where we live, and she actually won. Spend the night. I couldn't believe it. Mm. And uh, but yeah, she's she's getting to an age where she likes to do stuff like that. Of course, she's terrified of frogs, and that works to my advantage because I have a <laughs> lot of frogs out here. I get to terrorize her with frogs. I don't touch them. Just you know, all the different <laughs> ways you can you know torture children, especially grandchildren. That's even better. I have a fourth grandchild on the way. Zach and Emily are expecting. I know. That's so exciting. It's a bunch of birds. You know, I'm trying to trying to figure out what type of insect are we. We have to be some <laughs> descendants of some type of insect that mass produces. I don't want to say we're a bunch of roaches because that sounds disgusting. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're June bugs. I don't know. We're ladybugs. I, I think ladybugs mass produce. Yeah. Are they good luck or bad luck? I think ladybugs are good luck. Not June bugs, please, dear God. Talk about torture. Oh. I, will, I will scream bloody murder. Oh, that was a great thing. You know, Mama and Papa's house over there on Shea mm-hmm. in Farmer's Branch, they had the best locust shells ever. Oh, and I God. used to put them in Julie's hair, and she just made the most god-awful scream. But it was fun. <laughs> well, I was glad to learn that she was the one that told on me. Oh, didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. She called you out. What's the name of your of the business? Well, the DBA is Coach Burt's Barbecue and Catering, but I go by Sandwich Guy. I didn't want to have all that. There's too many words, and and <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to make it simple. And so I decided, even though that's still my DBA for check writing purposes, it's just I go by Sandwich Guy. One word. So if somebody, if somebody listening wants to hire you for an event or wants to stalk you and find out where you're setting up next time, like how do they find out where you're going to be or how to get in touch with you? Well, that means I got to go to my website, which is sandwichguy.com that I haven't updated since the pandemic began. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I couldn't find my Google password. You know, there's way too many dadgum passwords that we have to contend with in life right now. And I write them down and I've got red notebooks. I write red notebooks for some reason. And I finally found it the other day. And so I got to reset my password. Sandwich guy, of course, they can just 806-717-7523. Send me a text. I'll come a running. The farthest place I've ever catered was Abilene, Kansas for Zach's wedding. I have no problem driving because I enjoy driving. I drove Golly, I was a couple months ago. I drove all the way down to the hill country. Purveyor of sausage was out in Ballinger, Texas, West Texas, and he decided he's going to retire and not make sausage anymore. Well, God uh-huh. Almighty, I'd been using that sausage for 20 years. You can't do that. What am I going to do? And so I ended up going down there to Northeast San Antonio, a little town called Marion, and found this mom and pop meat market that makes the best daggum garlic sausage ever known to humankind. <sighs> Oh, it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. And they give me a good price because I buy it in bulk. And I like to drive. I like to drive to places, long road trips, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do too. It's going good. I got a big job tomorrow at Lake Whitney. So Lake Whitney. Now, I do recall a story. I think it was when you had probably just first started doing the smoking the meats and barbecue. And you were traveling on the highway. And I think maybe it wasn't quite done smoking. And you got pulled over, maybe? Yeah, that was my first year at Skyline. That was 2002. Yeah, I was, at the time, me and Zach and, just me and Zach, and Rockney came along another year later to live with me. But me and Zach were living out in East Texas, a little place called Lively. I don't even think it's on the map. (laughs) We were out in the country, and I pulled my smoker into town because I used to cook for the kids. I did that at Bridgeport, did did it at Marcus on the back porch of the field house area back in those days, uh, but just always cook for the kids because in the coaches, of course. But anyway, I smoked some briskets and had some sausages going and I would do the chicken when I got there. And But anyway, the smoke's coming out of there and I'm pulling through a neighborhood over there and kind of Pleasant Grove area of Southeast Dallas. And uh, all of a sudden, woo, woo, here come the <laughs> cop lights. I'm going, God almighty, what am I doing? What's going on here? And he gets out and he goes, sir, where are you going? I said, Skyline, I, I'm teaching coach up there. Uh, you're going to have a big cookout, are you? I said, well, I'm cooking for the kids. I said, you're welcome. Come by and grab you a sausage link or some brisket. I'll make you a sandwich. He goes, no, no. What, what you're doing, do you realize that you're smoking? I said, well, I'm smoking. I don't smoke. No, you're smoker behind your truck. 
I said, oh, well, I don't have a fire going. That's just residual smoke, I guess, because I, you know, I can't attend to a fire whenever I'm driving down a highway. Anyway, he said, "Well, uh, it's illegal to be have a pull a smoking trailer." I said, "Okay, well, I'm sorry. I, uh, you gonna give me a ticket?" He said, "No, I'll just give you this verbal warning. Don't need you setting houses on fire." I'm going, "God Almighty!" <laughs> so I didn't get a ticket, and I made sure, by gosh, that. Next time I was going to be pulling my smoker and having cooked on it, that there's zero residual smoke. But going down the highway, I had a bunch of guys pulling up beside me, hawking the horn, giving me the thumbs up. Hey, all right. Yeah. I'm thinking, (laughs) okay, follow me. Let's go. There are listeners from all across the United States, the Philippines. I think they're listening. Japan, Australia, United Kingdom, United Arab Emirates. Most of them are, though, are Texas, Oklahoma, and, and several across the United States. You know, I just thought it was the perfect time to talk to you about football, and you've always been a, a hero of mine and a mentor of mine, and so I just thank you for sharing today. And Well, number one, let's backtrack a little bit. you you got to start setting your standards, okay, <laughs> a little bit higher, all right, if you deem me a mentor or whatever. If that's as low as your standards are, then... Okay, then you're not being fair to to the people out there in podcast land. All right. <laughs> Speaking of which, this is my first podcast. I've done TV interviews, I've done radio interviews, I've tape recorded radio interviews, but I've never done a podcast. So this is here we go. This is pretty cool. I'm very proud of what you're doing as far as the folks out there in podcast land. You know, I've always wanted to travel the world. Now's not necessarily safe when it does become safe. I'd be more than happy to grab some brisket, yard bird sausage, some of my sauce, some loaves of bread, and we'll just make some sandwiches in places they've probably never had that particular type of food. They can share with me their particular types of food. I don't know what you got in Australia as far as cuisine. Same thing about the rest of the place. I very rarely get out of the Metroplex hardly anymore, but I'm ready. We might have to go do some R&D. I'm all about R and I tell you what, I wish to, on that Weight Watchers app they would put an R and D, an R and D button on there for me, instead of just saying, "Hey, you get extra points or rollovers." I don't want rollover. Give me an R and D points. That would only be fair. Anyway, I'm proud of you, little sister. Very proud of you. Thank love you. you. And uh, if there's anything I can do, you let me know. I will. I love you too. All right. Peace. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to Hellcat's Hope. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. To book me as a speaker for your next event, work one-on-one as a coach, or find more information on my upcoming book, please go to whatthehellcat.com. Thanks for listening.